Thank you, Stephen. And uh, it is it's good to be once again standing here again. Um, I think it was Paul Weisher who said one time, I preach so that I'm never invited back. Well, I've tried that here and it doesn't seem to work. Uh, someone once said, if you find yourself having to tiptoe around others, then you're not walking amongst your own tribe. Well, I'm glad to be able to say this morning that this is my tribe. Uh, the lifeboat folk here are my kind of blood-bought people. And I thank God for you all this morning. Stephen mentioned the open airs. Uh, the open airs in Dungannon on a Saturday con to, do continue. Uh, yesterday, Bertie and myself and two other men from Oma were down, and uh, we had a good time there yesterday in, in Dungannon Square. And if you do find yourself having some time on your hands uh, on a Saturday, uh, do feel free to come along and support us there uh, in Dungannon in the Square on a Saturday uh, around uh, midday. You'll be more uh, than welcome. So turn with me in God's Word this morning to uh, 1 Kings chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10, and uh, we'll read together the first 13 verses uh, of this chapter. <clears throat> first Kings chapter 10, and the verse 1. And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train, with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions, there was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believed not the words until I came, and mine eyes had seen it, and behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men. Happy are these thy servants which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighted in thee, to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore made he thee king to do judgment and justice. And she gave the king a hundred and twenty talents of gold and of spices, very great store, and precious stones, there came no more such abundance of spices as these which the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Verse 13, And King Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire, whatsoever she asked beside that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty. 
So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. You know, word was spreading about King Solomon and about his God and how Solomon was the wisest and richest and most powerful and honored king of his day. Word of his fame and wisdom was reaching into every civilized nation in the known world. Solomon, of course, was the son of David and Bathsheba, and he became king just before his father died. In chapter 3, Solomon didn't ask God for riches, didn't ask God for a strong kingdom or a long life or victory over his enemies. He simply asked God for wisdom, and God gifted him wisdom, plus everything else he didn't ask for. In verse 24, it says, All the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. God had called Israel to be witnesses, but in a different way than us. Christians have been commissioned to go. The early church started in Jerusalem and they moved outwards. The witness of the church is to face outward, but that was not the case for Israel. No one in Israel was ever called to go to any nation with the gospel with the exception of one person, Jonah. God asked Jonah to do what he'd never asked anyone else to do before. So you can understand why Jonah was reluctant to go. This was an unusual request from God. But you see, God wanted to save the Ninevites, and so he gave them opportunity to repent. God's method way back then was this. If the nation of Israel was faithful and true to God, worshipping God as directed, they would be such a witness, such a light to all the dark heathen nations around them that the world would then be attracted to them and the world would come to Jerusalem. Was there ever a time when Israel was that kind of obedient nation? Yes, there was, and we've just read about it this morning. During King David and King Solomon's reign, Israel were faithful. But of course, eventually, living a life of ease and growing accustomed to the display of wealth, they no longer valued the blessing of God, and taking it for granted, Israel eventually began to lose their way. And in fact, that is true of the church today. In the early days of a faithful work, they have to fight for survival. They've got to bear the scorn and the hatred of other people, preaching in rented halls and wooden mission huts. But eventually, after many years, they have their beautiful buildings, they have their their wealth, but eventually they begin to lose their zeal. They lose their vision and their cutting edge. They are no longer the salt that stings. They're no longer the, the folk that grab the headlines like John the Baptist. They're no longer a threat to the enemy. And eventually, they too lose their way. Leonard Ravenhill once said, The early church was married to poverty, prisons, persecutions. But today the church is married to prosperity, personality, and popularity. Churches are also destroyed when the world invades the church. Of course, the lifeboat must be in the sea, but when the sea gets into the lifeboat, then you're in trouble. The Christian army must be the only army in the world that allows the enemy not only to join it, but to hold rank in it. Many have allowed the world to invade the church, whilst at the same time they have become too cowardly to invade the gospel, or to rather invade the world with faithful gospel preaching. As the word went out here from Israel, 
All the earth heard of the wisdom and the greatness of Solomon, and they came to Jerusalem, and multitudes came to a saving knowledge of God. The queen of Sheba had also heard of his fame and his wisdom. She was one of many who came, but her visit is the only one that is recorded in Scripture, and it is recorded in Scripture for a reason. She came further than anyone else did. In fact, Jesus said she came from the uttermost parts of the earth, about as far away as you could possibly get. There are two Shebas that we know about, and scholars are divided as to exactly where she did come from. The first one is in Ethiopia, and Legends there says that Queen Candace was a descendant of this queen. The other Sheba is in southwest Arabia. It was the home of the Sabaeans who lived in the area of modern Yemen, which was about 1,500 miles away. This Sheba was an important commercial area famous for its trading in spices and perfumes and gold and precious stones, some of which the queen brought with her to Jerusalem. So this is likely to be the area she was from. It is currently now the base of the Houthi rebels who are attacking Israeli ships in the Red Sea in support of Hamas terrorists. Jesus called her the Queen of the South because Sheba lay south of Israel. Now, we don't know all that much about this important lady except that she was a significant person. We don't know anything about her age, her religion, if she was married, if she had a family, or anything about her health. We know that when Naaman came to Israel, it was to find a cure for his leprosy. The greatness of King Solomon and his wisdom may have been carried to Sheba by her sailors when they docked at her porch or by Sheba's own merchants as they returned home. So what were the stories that fascinated the queen so much? Perhaps it was the stories about the riches that Solomon had accumulated. We can read about them in chapter 9 in the verse 28 and also in verse 14 of this chapter. Solomon accumulated billions and billions of pounds worth of gold. Maybe it was because she had heard of his personal relationship with his God. Verse 1 says she heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. So if Solomon's God was behind all of his wisdom and all of his success, then she needed to find out more about his God. And that's all God asks any one of us to do, to hear and then to believe. You see, the gospel is something you must hear, and then you have to make up your own decision. You are free to choose from that moment. And that's why there is such a threat now on the street preachers. The devil doesn't want lost souls to hear the truth. That's why Stormont legislated for buffer zones around Auschwitz-style abortion centers. Satan doesn't want mothers to know the truth that inside their womb is a little boy or a little girl, and to kill that little baby would be murder in God's eyes. The Alliance Party now want to legislate for abortion up to birth for any reason. So what a wicked, evil, nasty, demonic party they are. Last year, around the world, there was 44 million abortions. Abortion now accounts for more than 40% of all deaths. Someone once said to me, oh, you've got a hobby horse about this abortion issue. You, you always seem to be bringing it into your, into your messages. 
But friends, I make no apology this morning for doing that. How can anyone with a Christian conscience remain silent about the annual murder of 44 million little children? If the Queen of Sheba heard this news, then obviously someone was kind enough, thoughtful enough, and caring enough to tell her. See, Spurgeon once said, We are not responsible for the souls that are saved, but we are responsible for the gospel that is preached and for the way in which we preach it. The preacher's responsibility is to get the gospel to the ear. Only God can take it to the heart. It's great to see people stop and to listen to the gospel on the street because you, you know at that moment that your mission that day has, has been a successful mission, but only God can take that message to the heart. We are simply the sowers. The seed is the word of God, and some seed will fall on good ground. But that seed, however, still must be sown. So don't let anyone stop you from sowing the gospel seed. Someone wrote, Lord, send us forth to preach the word wherever man is found, till every soul of thee has heard the whole wide world around. Perhaps the queen had been sharing her burdens with a friend about this emptiness in her life, this longing in her soul. And maybe that friend told her about Solomon and about his God. It was a seemingly insignificant Jewish slave girl that told Naaman's wife about the prophet Elisha back in Israel. And you know, that little piece of truth completely changed Naaman's life. So friends, let us be that kind of friend that tells others about the Lord Jesus. For faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Don't let your past put you off from serving God in the future. If the Lord can use the woman at the well who was divorced five times to share the gospel with her neighbors, with people who knew all about her, then he can certainly use any one of us. You can be that preacher. And if there is a void in your life, an emptiness in your soul, can I remind you that there is one greater than Solomon here this morning, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he is able to meet your need, save your soul, and transform your life. Maybe the queen was informed about Solomon's wisdom in dealing with the court case involving the two harlot women and the baby. You know, the, the verdicts of famous court cases always make international headlines, whether it's the O.J. Simpson trial in America or the Nazi trials in Nuremberg or the Oscar Pistorius trial in South Africa. Or perhaps she heard about Solomon's power and about the palace that he lived in and the kingdom that he had built and the magnificent temple he constructed, which took 70,000 men to transport the materials, 80,000 men to quarry the stone, and 3,500 men to supervise the work, which took seven years to complete. Solomon's empire was huge. It was a superpower, and there wasn't another king like him anywhere else in the world. So is it any wonder that all the earth sought to Solomon? By now, he was world famous, and the Queen of Sheba just had to meet him. And so she decides to make this 1,500-mile journey herself. And friends, that was some road trip. You know, when our children were small, uh, I can remember we went three times to, to Europe on holiday by road in a Vauxhall Safira. 
Joshua was usually stuffed in the boot, and we normally didn't see him until we got to France or uh, Holland again. Well, of course, sometimes we, we might have stopped occasionally to, to feed him. Uh, and our, our favorite, our favorite uh, game on the M6 in, in, in England was I Spy with my little eye. And Robin, she was only two or three at the time. And uh, bless her cotton socks, she seemed to win that game every time. She seemed to be a mastermind at I Spy With My Little Eye. And she would begin, well, I spy with my little eye, something beginning with P. And the rest of us in the car would spend half an hour trying to guess what this P was. Is it, is it people? No. Is it pylons? No. Is it posts? No. People? No. Is it, is, it, is it paint? No. Is it a policeman? No. It's none of those things. And then we'd give up and we'd say, well, what is it? What is this P? And she'd point out the window and say, grass. She won that game every time. She was a mastermind. You know, this journey from Sheba to Jerusalem would have taken about 75 days one way. Obviously, there were no TransLink buses, no EasyJet planes, no Apple Green service stations, no McDonald's, and no Greg. So this was tough going. This was usually the job of a diplomat or a government official. But the Queen of Sheba made this journey personally. And in doing so, she was able to satisfy her curiosity. She came to Jerusalem with a very great train, we're told. A long caravan of camels and carrying spices and huge amounts of gold and precious stones. She was a queen and she was transporting vast riches. So you can imagine her entourage would have included servants and ladies in waiting and and physicians and ushers and porters and butlers and bakers and advisors and bodyguards and many heavily armed soldiers. She didn't come to build relations. She didn't come to negotiate borders to, to become trading partners or try and form some sort of an alliance. No, she came simply to commune with King Solomon, to prove him or to test him with hard questions. You know, wisdom means to be skilled, to have the ability to live life skillfully, to live a godly life in an ungodly world. It is an adjective. A skilled worker is a wise worker, and Solomon was a wise man. Solomon, he wrote the book of Proverbs, and he says, he that winneth souls is wise. And I believe Solomon used this opportunity to point the Queen of Sheba to the Lord during her visit. In fact, she acknowledged the reality of his God here in verse 9. Schools teach children how to make a living, which is obviously a good thing. But friends, it is even, even wiser to teach children how to live. And by God's grace, our school will be used to teach our children how to live, how to live a godly life in an ungodly world. Solomon wrote that wisdom is better than rubies, better than gold, better than strength, better than weapons of war. So we all need wisdom, and we get this wisdom from God. Young people this morning, seek wisdom and seek it from the Lord. God gave Solomon a wise and an understanding heart so that there was none like him before or after. People in the Middle East, they loved a good brain teaser. And you'll remember that in the book of Judges, 
Samson quizzed the Philistines with a riddle. Out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. Now, we aren't told what these riddles or questions on her heart were, but she knew Solomon was a wise man of God. And I believe many of her questions must have revolved around the things of God. Maybe she asked about creation, about the origin of man, about marriage, about the sanctity of life, about family, and about the afterlife. Maybe she asked the most important question of all, Sir, what must I do to have your God as my God? What must I do to be saved? Maybe she was fed up with all the paganism and idolatry and the emptiness of religion back in Sheba, and she believed that only Solomon had the answers and only his God could satisfy her spiritual needs. Maybe that's why she had to come all this way on her own. Maybe her husband had no time, no interest in God, which can happen, you know. Sometimes the ladies have to be the man in the house because it takes guts to be a Christian in a world that hates Christ. Sometimes the men just aren't up to it. Now, we don't know what questions she asked, but we do know that nothing was hidden. She believed this man had the answers. She trusted this man of God enough to share her burdens and pour out everything to him that was on her heart, and Solomon did not disappoint her. And then she experienced his hospitality. You know, Solomon was raised up by God for such a time as this, just as other men and women in the Bible were raised up even during times of persecution and disobedience. God raised up Joseph. He made him second only to Pharaoh. He raised up Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery and bondage. And he, of course, he raised up Daniel, who defied an earthly government when they overstepped the mark. The Spirit of God was in them, and their wisdom came from the Word of God. So what was it that made Israel great, and what did God give Israel that distinguished them from all the other nations around them? Will he give them his word? And why were they eventually carried captive and their nation destroyed? They disobeyed his word. After Solomon died, the nation split in two. Judah was in the south, Israel was to the north. And from that moment, the north always had a wicked government. The north had a wicked government. And now our north has a wicked government. The reason why Northern Ireland is in such a mess is because we are in disobedience to the word. They no longer want God, so God has just stepped back and allowed them to what they do want. Murderers, apologists for bloodshed, advocates for transgenderism, champions for abortion, people who cannot de define what a woman is, and sodomites who boast on social media of their evil and filthy and disgusting deeds. They are now at the very heart of government in the north. This is what the judgment of God looks like, friends. And no good thing will ever come from it. Because the Bible says, when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. John Calvin once said, when God wants to judge a nation, he gives them wicked rulers. And that's what's happened. Recently, Heard of a minister in East Belfast who confronted some young people that were throwing stones at the church building. And he said to them, why on earth are you doing this? 
this is a Protestant building and you are Protestant children. And they said, we're not Protestants, we're loyalists. And of course, the only thing they're loyal to is the devil. What distinguished Joseph here and Moses and Solomon and Daniel from the others? It was the Spirit of God that was within them and the Word of God that they practiced. And friends, we can all be distinguished in our duties if we take in God's Word and we live out God's Word. Jerusalem was now a popular tourist attraction, far more interesting than Edinburgh or London or Paris. And when the Queen arrives, she causes quite a stir. The Queen is given the red carpet treatment. She comes as a fellow royal, gets an audience with the king and lays it all out. She meets, she greets, she sees, she talks, she dines with King Solomon and she perceived his wisdom. As queen, she was used to impressive and colorful ceremonies. But friends, this was on a different scale. She is given a tour of the city. She inspects the royal palace and is impressed by the many banquets. There was just something about the conduct of the, the servants, their, their beautiful uniforms, the seating of the officers and the guests, the, the incredible wealth on display and the way even the food was presented. She watched how the cupbearers poured the wine and how they sat in, in, in Solomon's presence and listened to his voice. How the servants attended hastily to every wish and oh, how happy they all seemed to be in his service. Solomon's servants remind me of the servants of God. We are so happy in his service. There is nothing else we'd rather be doing. And friends, if you're not in his service this morning, you're missing out. There was order in it all. And everything about Solomon reflected his wisdom, the righteous government that he led, and the God that he served. There was one other thing that stood out here to the queen here in verse 5. His ascent by which he went up to the temple. As the queen walks with Solomon, she focuses here on the, on the stairway that took them from the palace to the temple. Now, isn't it strange that not one question she asked Solomon made it into the Bible, but the fact that she paid attention to the stairs did. Who pays attention to a set of stairs? Stairs simply take you from A to B, or in this case, take you from the house of Solomon to the house of God. But this queen took notice of these stairs. Now, think about what the Bible says. It says, whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord. So imagine you're a carpenter living back at the time of King Solomon. And you live in Jerusalem and you, and you love working with wood and you've studied the various types of wood and you've experimented using various wood stains. You're skilled in the art of making furniture. And then one day out of the blue, you get a knock at the door and it's a representative of the king. He says, the king would like to talk with you. And so you head down to the palace and you're standing there before King Solomon. And he says, I've seen your work. It's brilliant. And I've got this idea. I would like to build a set of stairs from my house to God's house. And so you begin to talk and exchange ideas here with the king. You suggest one type of wood for the newel posts, the handrails, the balustrades. The king would like to talk to you about the type of carving on the riser and this type of stain on the thread and together you come up with a plan. And when you leave, 
You've got yourself a contract with the king to build his stairs, and you're so excited. And then finally, after many weeks of hard work, late nights, and total dedication, you have them fitted, and the stairs look magnificent. A few years later, you're in your workshop, you're working on another project from the innkeeper down the street, and you hear another knock at the door, and again, it's the king's servant. He's standing there again, and he tells you that when the queen of Sheba saw those stairs that you made, she declared, there's a God in Israel. There's a God in Israel. What does the Bible say? Whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Each and every moment of our day, including those moments that seem insignificant, it presents us with an opportunity to glorify God and make him known in a godless world. Everything we do has the potential to point sinners to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Farmer, builder, teacher, mechanic, plumber, electrician, receptionist, secretary, wife, mother, shop assistant, bus driver, nurse or student, everything we do, do it unto the Lord. Every detail about us affects our witness and our testimonies and will speak to other people. The way we dress, the way we worship, the way we welcome people into church, the way we run our homes, the way we conduct our businesses, the way we treat our employees and our customers. When we set a good example at work, we make our God real to other people. Victor Maxwell tells a story of a lady who got saved after she had seen the change in the McKibben family. He said, leading her to the Lord was like plucking ripe fruit from a tree. The only sermon she ever heard was observing what the Lord had done in that family, and she wanted what they had. You see, friends, our lives are open letters, known and read of all men. Every believer is a preacher. You can't escape it. You are saying something to somebody every day by the way that you live your life. Therefore, King Solomon wrote, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Even the very stairway that led to the temple impressed the queen. She is overwhelmed by the magnificence of it all. Everything she had heard was, was true. In fact, it exceeded all her expectations. Now, this woman was super rich. She, she lived in, a, in her own mansion. She had everything this world could offer her, but she was spiritually dark. But now she was overwhelmed by the light. She had never seen anything like this in her life. That was until she got to the top of those stairs and she entered into the temple of God. The temple that Solomon built was not just for the nation of Israel. That temple was built so that all the nations might come and worship in Jerusalem. Solomon's temple was eventually destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BC. Work on the second temple began in 538 BC by the Jews, which were led by Zerubbabel, who returned from Babylon after 70 years of captivity. It was then renovated and expanded by King Herod in 20 BC. In Jesus' day, it had separate courts for the Gentiles and for the women. But God had never intended that 
in the original plans. God's will has always been that everyone would come to him on the same basis. Paul said that that was what made the church different. He said to, in the Ephesians, Now in Christ Jesus ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. The middle wall of partition has been broken down now between Jew and Gentile, male and female, rich and poor. And we all stand together on the one plane on the basis of the blood of the Lamb of God. That was the purpose of the temple, to approach God as one. The temple was for everyone, a place where every nation could approach the one true and living God. That is the word that went across the world. And that is the truth that confronted the queen when she reached the inner court. When the king got there, he was on the same plane as everyone else. You see, back in her country, she was way above the crowd. She was self-righteous, self-important. But when King Solomon came God's way into God's presence, he took his place with every other sinner. The altar offered substitutionary animal sacrifices for the sins of the people. This vividly illustrated the basics of atonement. Only by a blood sacrifice was sin atoned. The altar, ever ablaze and covered in blood, always stood open to accept the guilt of anyone who wished to draw near to God. There the guilty sinner would offer another life, an innocent life, in their place. The altar was the first thing a sinner encountered upon entering the temple's inner court, meaning that they could not approach the holy presence of God unless they came to the place of sacrifice where atonement was made for sin. In other words, before coming to God, we must first deal with sin. The altar spoke of Calvary, where Christ's death was the ultimate substitutionary sacrifice for sin. Access to God is only possible when we come to him through the perfect atoning sacrifice of the shed blood of Christ, which is why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Even the king had to come as a sinner and take his place with his lowest subject to receive salvation from God because all have sinned and all must come this way to receive the righteousness of God. Every king, every queen and president, prime minister and first minister must take their place with every other sinner at the cross and call on Jesus Christ for mercy and forgiveness if they want to escape the flames of hell and enter into heaven. The queen watched how the king worshipped God, and, and it simply took her breath away. Verse 5, it says, There was no more spirit in her, meaning that she was completely overwhelmed. And I believe the queen of Sheba made Solomon's way to God, her way to God, because she now realized it was God's only way. I believe she got saved in Jerusalem. I believe she went home a changed woman. I believe when she died, she went to heaven. And I believe the Lord Jesus confirmed that a thousand years later. And then finally, we see that she expressed her admiration. 
The queen had questions born out of a sincere desire to learn. And Solomon had an answer for every question she had, whether she liked the answer or not. Solomon told her all the truth. He held nothing back. He was faithful to the word of God. Someone once said to me one time, if you get an invitation to, to preach in a church that's not really used to the full gospel, then go easy on them so that you get an invitation to come back. Well, friends, not all advice is good advice. Can I remind you that Christ suffered? He shed his precious blood. He died so that we could be forgiven and that we would have a gospel to preach. And if you don't preach the gospel in all its fullness, then do not preach it at all. We are soldiers. We are soldiers of Christ, and real soldiers will give everything in battle. Preach the gospel, even if you're never invited back. Preach the truth, nothing but the truth. I wonder, could we answer the hard questions here like Solomon? If not, then we really need to get back to the Word. The Holy Spirit has inspired His Word so that we can have it. The Holy Spirit has illuminated His Word so that we can understand it. Everything the Queen sees in the capital here, it leaves her speechless. She didn't, she didn't believe it at first. All the information her intelligence agency had gathered for her, it seemed too far-fetched, so she had to see it for herself. And now she is here. She realizes she, she, didn't, she didn't hear half the stuff. Not only is it true, she, she only heard half the story. His wisdom is vindicated, it is proven, and he has passed the test. And can I remind you, sinner, this morning that the Lord Jesus Christ will pass the test for you. The queen believed enough to come to Jerusalem, and that's all God asks any sinner to do. Faith enough just to come. Come to Christ and say, Lord, I am a sinner, but I know that you are my Savior. I have a lot of questions. I have a lot of issues. I have a lot of problems. I'm pretty messed up, but Lord, I am coming to you. That's what the thief did on the cross. He simply came. And you know, we Christians can all say that. Until we came to Christ, we were just like the Queen of Sheba. How little we really knew. But the truth is, we're still listening. And we're still learning. If you have a dissatisfaction, if you've got a hunger, a longing just enough to come to Christ, then he will do the rest. And he will make it so very real to you. And he can do that this morning. Everything exceeded her expectations. She didn't know half of it until she came. Solomon was even wiser than she heard. She said, your people are so happy, so contented, so blessed. They get to benefit from your wisdom every single day. By the way, you know, we get to benefit from Solomon's wisdom every day as well. Solomon is identified with the books of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon. When the Queen of Sheba, when she heard, when she was with Solomon, she, she received of his wisdom. And when we, read, when we read his books, we benefit from the wisdom that God gave to Solomon. His servants were blessed. The Queen of Sheba was blessed. And we can be blessed today if we take the time to read God's word. You know, my words will never tell half the story. You've got to see him. You've got to experience him for yourself. Certainly ministers and faithful pastors and evangelists will do their best. 
They will preach the gospel. Friends will, will, will share the good news, but even our very best efforts will almost seem like a lie to you, a half-truth, because the Lord Jesus Christ, he is far better than we could even explain. Until you come to Christ yourself, until you taste and see yourself, you'll never fully understand the deep and inner joy he will give you. Your own personal relationship and experience with Christ will exceed everything you've ever heard about him. The queen praised and blessed God, who in his love and kindness had given Israel a wise king. And you know, God has given to us the greatest king of all, the king of kings, who is eternally wise. In verse 10, she, she gifted Solomon gold and spices and precious stones. It was one of the greatest gifts, apart from eternal life, that he had ever received. And in return, in verse 13, Solomon gave to her all her desire, whatever she wanted, whatever she asked for, Solomon gave from his treasury. So she got more from Solomon than she was able to give to him. And so it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter how much you give to him, you will never outgive God. I mean, how do you put a price on eternal life? Everyone that has ever come to Christ in the, in the way the queen here came to Solomon will agree with everything she discovered. The Lord always gives back far more than you could possibly give up for him, and he will constantly take your breath away. Jesus referred to this passage in Matthew chapter 12 when he was speaking here to the Pharisees. First he, he brought in Jonah and then he mentions the queen of Sheba. In Matthew 12, 41, he said, the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. You know, if the Lord Jesus wasn't God's son, then he would have been the most arrogant and blasphemous and proud person in the world. But he was God's son, and he had every right to say this. He said that Gentile Nineveh repented at the preaching of the gospel. But someone even greater than the preacher, Jonah, stands before you, and you Jews here refuse to repent. Isn't it amazing that the man possessed with thousands of demons in Gadara recognized who Jesus was? But the men standing next to Jesus, possessing thousands of scriptures, couldn't. And then Jesus brings up the Queen of Sheba. Verse 42, he said, The Queen of the South shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Friends, someone greater than Solomon is here this morning. Remember in 1 Kings 3 and 12, God said that there was no one like Solomon, either before him or after him, but Jesus was saying that he was even greater than Solomon. No wonder they hated him. He said the queen of the south, the godless queen, had traveled from the watermost parts of the earth, a great distance, at great effort, at great expense to listen to the words of Solomon, and she praised God. And yet you Jews, you Pharisees, you, you scribes, you hypocrites, you religious people have one wiser and greater than Solomon amongst you today. You don't have to travel to hear him. You just have to look to me. And yet you will not listen to me. You will not obey me. And you will not repent to me. He didn't like it when Jesus said a godless Gentile queen 
had more faith than them. And folks, there are a few lessons for us here as we close. First of all, the Queen of Sheba. Well, she traveled 1,500, 1,500 miles to commune with Solomon and to meet with God. Now, if we are saved, then maybe, just maybe, we should set in stone the midweek prayer meetings and travel, what, 10 minutes down the road to meet him? The Queen of Sheba spent months preparing to make the journey to see the temple animal sacrifices. Maybe sometimes, if we're saved, we should consider staying behind just for a few minutes to remember the greatest sacrifice of all, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Queen of Sheba took 75 days to travel to be part of what God was doing in Jerusalem. 75 days. Maybe we should make a better effort to support and to be, what, to be part of what God is doing here at the lifeboat, the barn, the children's meeting, the open air work. I wonder is the Queen of Sheba rising up to judge us this morning? What sacrifices would we make to find wisdom like her? What time do we spend in God's word? How far would we go to meet with God? Some Christians have got so lazy now that they don't even bother going to church anymore. They just sit at home in their dressing gowns on a Sunday morning and they tune in on the internet. One minister told me that one of his congregation actually boasted of how they can press pause during his message and head off into the kitchen and make themselves a cup of coffee. Oh, online church is great, they said. Let me tell you, friend, there's no such thing as Zoom church. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. You know, if young Aaron McCain, who has been in a wheelchair all his life, can preach and give out tracts on the streets and drive from Castle Derg to the barn and to the lifeboat prayer meeting, then what is our excuse? If Brendan Foster, from a Catholic and Republican background, who has been blind since a teenager, can travel all over the country and testify of God's goodness, then what is your excuse coming from a Protestant background? I wonder, do you know the one who is greater than Solomon this morning? Because he is greater in so many ways. Solomon was rich in possessions, but the Lord, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Solomon provided a banquet for his servants and guests. The Lord Jesus fed thousands with five loaves and two fish. He fed millions with quails and manna in the wilderness, and he alone is the bread of life. Solomon occupied his throne for 40 years, but is now dead. The Lord Jesus Christ, he died for our sins, but he was raised from the dead, and he occupies his throne forevermore. Solomon was behind great building projects, Jesus is currently building his church. Solomon purchased his materials with silver and gold, but the Lord Jesus purchased his people with his own precious blood. Solomon was a created human being with temporary power and authority. Jesus is the supernatural, eternal Son of God with everlasting power. And yet people who hear from Christ still won't listen, still won't obey, and still won't repent. I wonder, do you know what the best news of all is this morning to perishing souls? 
Solomon had a private and direct access from the palace to the temple by a stairway. But we have direct access to God by Jesus Christ. In fact, there is no other way. I wonder, have you come to God by Jesus Christ? The Queen of the South came 1,500 miles to meet God. But God doesn't ask you to travel anywhere this morning because God has brought salvation to you. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If you reject him, then one day the Queen of the South will rise up in judgment against you. Everything the Queen was told about Solomon and his wisdom was true, whether she believed it or not. And everything God tells you in his word is true, whether you choose to believe it or not. Friend, there is a heaven. There is a hell of everlasting fire. The wages of sin is death, and Jesus Christ is coming back. It's all true, so you better be prepared to meet him. Verse 13, it says, she turned and went to her own country. Naaman returned to Syria with a cure for his sickness. And I believe the queen returned to Sheba with a cure for her sin. Solomon met with prostitutes, commoners with very little, but he also met with the heads of state, people who were very, very wealthy. You see, his door was open to everyone. And my dear friend, God's door is open to everyone this morning. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the door. And by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Amen. And we thank Lord, the Lord for his word this morning.